Owen Radio 89.7 WGLS-FM presents the AFT Retirees Welcome Back Reception. Now let's take you to I-9 Ballroom on the campus of Rowan University. If you would take your seats, I'd like to call uh, our Vice President for Political Issues, Holly Woolen, who will offer our invocation for today. Holly, if you want to come up here. Thank you, Harold. Good afternoon, everybody. Before I deliver the invocation, I want to pass on some news. I'm sorry to say that Ed Wolf and Fran Mitchell will not be joining us today. Fran is now in hospice. To the best of our knowledge, she is in North Jersey with one of her daughters. So we do not have an address uh, for you at this time. Today, we are present on land that was once home to the Lenai Lenape people land that was never ceded to the U.S. government. Let us be grateful to all of the indigenous peoples of the United States for their many gifts to the country. Let us also be grateful to our ancestors. They came from many countries and many different cultures. Some came willingly and others were brought here against their will. Let us each think of them, whether we know their names or not, They were survivors, so let us remember them with gratitude, for they bequeathed us many of the traits and skills that have made it possible for us to make a difference on this campus. Let us remember with gratitude as well the founders of this university and those who have contributed to its development over 99 years as the entire university prepares to celebrate its centennial. As we are gathered here to reaffirm our commitments to Rowan students, retired Rowan faculty, and professional staff, and Local 2373, let us remember with gratitude the founders of Local 2373, which will celebrate its 50th anniversary in January. And the AFT Retirees Chapter itself, which is celebrating this year its 35th anniversary. The longest-serving president of the AFT Retirees Chapter is with us today. So, Rose Glassberg, where are you? Rose, if you are willing and able, would you stand up and accept the adulation of your adoring fans? Thank you very much. Thank you, Holly. All right, just to introduce the uh, front table, and I'll go uh, from the gentleman with the uh, hat and uh, possibly the most liberal person in this room, Dr. Jay Chaskis, who is the uh, program coordinator for our AFT retirees chapter. Next is Dr. Rose Glassberg, who is president emeritus of, uh, and probably, you know, so much of what we've done as a chapter is due to what Rose has put in uh, it was part of her life, and I'm uh, you know, very humbled to have accepted the role from her. Uh, next is our esteemed president of the university, Dr. Ali Hushman, uh, who's made unbelievable strides in what Rowan is as compared to what it was when uh, we came. And next is uh, the very uh, efficient, admirable uh, provost, and that's Dr. Anthony Lohman. Okay, and I'd just like to introduce some people in the crowd. Uh, the person who came up to uh, let um, Holly know that he was uh, not close enough to the microphone, uh, Dr. Tony Libro, who is our communications uh, 
coordinator within the chapter. And I think a lot of the adoration that we get uh, from the public is the things that we publish in both our newsletter and uh, pamphlets. And if you you know checked it, we uh, the brochures and stuff like that that we had uh, are very very outstanding. Is our executive vice president here? I don't see her. Okay, uh, sitting in the front is the past president of uh, the AFT chapter and a member of our executive board, uh, Dr. Nick Diobildo. Behind him in the second row is the, our treasurer, Dr. Michael Miller. Uh, sitting next to him is our uh, corresponding secretary. Larry and Deepa Squally. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I do, I do know who you are. Yes, okay. Actually, I'm, I'm going to introduce Dr. John Gallagher, who is our past treasurer and uh, someone that Mike you know, really appreciates for everything he's done. Okay, Lori Marshall is, is in the back. She has uh, is going to talk to us about the centennial on campus. Uh, next to her is Melissa Dirsch uh, from Foundations. I just like to recognize her because uh, she's very happy and uh, that we bring in the kind of student scholarship money that we do. Uh, next to her is Karen Seifring, uh, now past president of the AFT chapter on campus and someone that we can't wait until she retires and, and gets involved with our executive board. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, in the back is RJ Tallarita, who is a new chief of staff uh, for the president. And uh, this is his first uh, time that he's ever been with us. So, you know, welcome, RJ. And I hope that we have a uh, uh, long term because you are our conduit to the president and the provost with any kind of issues. And uh, I'm very pleased to see Joe Carbone, who, as someone has said in the past, doesn't look any different than he did when he was a student here. But I think he does. Uh, so welcome, Joe. And uh, our executive vice president, I believe, yes, Marge Morris is here. Uh, and one of the interesting things is that both Marge and uh, Rose were not able to be here last year because of illness, and it's very nice to see both of them. So uh, the first person who's going to be talking today will be uh, Dr. Jay Chaskis. Uh, Jay's going to provide our keynote. I I think I'm supposed to say goodbye, but I really can't do that because the work that we do still goes on. I'm happy to put down the role as president. I did that a long time, 28 years for the chapter, 18 years for the local. But I look at what is happening today and I want to see a vibrant and active chapter. And I have to be part of that. There's a great deal of work still to be done. And as educators who understand the importance of education and the importance of reaching everybody that we can, I'm not saying goodbye to us. I'm saying I'm with you as long as I can be with you. Thank you for your support. And Harold, thank you for being willing to take over as president. It's not an easy job, and you're doing it beautifully. Thank you for that. Good morning. Um, you, you know that I can't stand very long, so my remarks won't be that long. Dr. Hushman, guests, union brothers and sisters, entitled my remarks, Our Legacy, A Bridge to the 21st Century. Many of our chapter retirees as a group 
served the university from the late 1960s to the early 2000s. These roughly five decades, comprising half the life of the institution, saw the university transition from a small teacher's college to a large university with a wide variety of programs from bachelor's degree to doctorate. 1958, the school's name was changed to Glassboro State College to better reflect the broader mission. It was our faculty and professional staff that built a bridge spanning 50 years of growth that took Glassboro State College into the 21st century as a comprehensive research university with several programs of excellence and distinction. In 1965, the state of New Jersey passed legislation expanding the mission of the state colleges beyond teacher education. In 1969, the university opened the campus in Camden to expand its educational reach. Now mandated as a multi-purpose institution, the transition began slowly, but, in the, <clears throat> but by the early 1970s, this metamorphosis was clearly in evidence. The faculty and professional staff who served almost five decades that followed built a bridge to the R1 Research University that Rowan would become. They put into place the bedrock of the transformation that Henry Rowan's gift in 1992 promised. Later that year, the school changed the name from Glassboro State College to Rowan College of New Jersey. The college achieved university status in 1997 and once again changed its name to the one we use now, Rowan University. This is the legacy that our generation of higher education professionals left for those who came after us. I arrived as a new assistant professor in September of 1969 to begin my quote starter job until I could get my doctoral until I could finish my doctoral dissertation and move on to quote a real university 53 years later I stand before you having retired from my starter job living in my starter house with my starter wife of 56 years and in that real university of my dreams I have the privilege of witnessing this transformation and having had a small role in it. I speak before you to briefly recount and celebrate the work of my fellow faculty and professional staff. My limited time only allows me to briefly mention some of the major academic and student activities initiatives that mark that past, that mark the past five decades, but certainly not all of them. My apologies if I fail. <clears throat> to mention an initiative you hold dear in your heart. Not only are we celebrating the centenary, but this is also the 50th anniversary of AFT Local 2373 and the 35th anniversary of the Locals Retirees chapter. Nick Diabilda will follow uh, my remarks with brief account of the responsibility of the AFT Local 2373. In this transformation, which included the vital responsibility of nurturing and protecting the benefits and conditions of employment, as well as the professional integrity of the faculty and professional staff. A few words about academic growth. In 1969, the academic chain of command reached from the president to the dean of the college to the faculty department chairs, who were only coordinators. And we all know, we all know. We all we all know what a coordinator is. That's somebody with a great deal of responsibility and absolutely no authority. 
basically departments not involved with direct teacher education were still tasked with supporting the former. Some of these departments were multidisciplinary. The Division of Liberal Arts housed several departments, including the departments of sociology, communication, history, English, geography, and anthropology, political science, and economics. The science division eventually became separate departments of chemistry, biology, and physics. Departments such as mathematics, English, and psychology, which were teacher education focused, began to reorient their curriculum toward a more liberal arts focus. The communication department broke away from the Division of Liberal Arts in 1996 to become the School of Communications and subsequently a college, a flagship program of the institution at that time. The Department of Philosophy and Religious Studies served the humanities requirements for the expansion of liberal arts, but functioned without a major for many years. The English department, already steeped in the liberal arts tradition, increased its offerings and range as enrollment grew. One of the several administrative mandates mandated iterations of strategic planning. Two departments, industrial arts and home economics, were eliminated while the Department of Instructional Technology was created. Also, the foreign languages department had to fight for its place in the sun after foreign language requirement was dropped from the general education requirement as a result of strategic planning. Newly created departments and those already extant were grouped into colleges. With the creation of the College of Fine and Performing Arts, music, art, theater, and dance developed well beyond their former role supporting teacher education. The College of Education experienced substantial changes in terms of curriculum, programs, especially at the graduate level, and departmental organ organization as the character and mandates of teacher and educational administration preparation transformed. Women's studies courses were introduced during this era and the concentration in gender and studies and in gender studies flourished. Student services. With enrollment increasing, the demand for a whole range of student services steadily increased in size and scope. Furthermore, the former character of the university as, quote, a commuter school was replaced with a vibrant campus-centered environment with greatly expanded residential housing. Academic advising and career services experienced rapid and radical changes. Academic advising, largely faculty-based, was replaced with professional developmental academic advisors embedded in the programs they served. Career services greatly expanded both its services and activities. The counseling center grew from a 1960s traditional counseling office into what today is a fully professional office of psychological services staffed by licensed clinicians. New residence halls and apartments were built. Programming and residential life exploded in growth. A new student center offered students the opportunities for the expansion of student organizations representing an array of interests and affinity groups well beyond Greek life. Racial, ethnic, and religious student organizations were formed. The Ally Network, later replaced by the Gay-Straight Alliance, gave LGBTQ students a presence and a voice on campus. The Recreation Center added another dimension 
with extracurricular activities as did the expansion of intramural and intercollegiate athletics. The continually expanding academic programs and enrollment generated an increasing number of student organizations affiliated with various majors, both academic and professional. Student government organizations grew in size and scope reflecting this increasing number and size of student organizations referred to above. This unprecedented expansion required faculty and professional staff to act as advisors and support and mentor these student organizations. Note about those we serve. For the first few decades of my service, the institution primarily served working class and lower middle class students. Both traditional age students and adult learners filled our classrooms with almost constant growth of the college. My classroom became increasingly diverse, women and men with family and jobs, young black and Hispanic students, veterans, students with disability, gay students, community college transfers. As a result of academic growth and the opportunities it afforded to our most, to most first generation students, Successive cohorts of graduates were able to discover and develop previously unimagined careers and enjoy life at a level previously unachievable before. Consequently, as a result of these efforts by both academic and student affairs, our learners felt safe, respected, nurtured, and valued. Many students found caring mentors who went on to become lifelong friends. The faculty and staff really get to witness the full fruits of their labors, but when they do, it produces a distinctive sense of joy and accomplishment. The faculty and professional staff conceived and implemented these changes I have just enumerated under the aegis of their departments, their colleges, the university senate, and the union. Sometimes these changes were initiated by the administration, at other times by faculty and professional staff, and in other instances jointly. The faculty and professional staff labored to create countless new courses, majors, and academic policies. There were numerous iterations of the general education model as well as graduation requirements. Additionally, an ever-growing institution required the re-examination or creation of any number of policies and procedures encompassing academic affairs and student affairs. Through the college, and eventually the University Senate. A constant flow of policies and procedures poured forth, including issues of academic integrity, the grading system, class scheduling, residential life, faculty and staff, staff ethical behavior, to name but a few. A huge expansion of the university brought an avalanche of hiring at all levels during these five decades of transformation. The hiring of new faculty, professional staff, administrative personnel, including un the university's presidents, always included the appropriate, the appropriate faculty and professional staff. In addition, hiring, recontracting, tenure and promotion, and sabbatical leave were relentless in their demands on faculty and staff devoted countless hours to reading dossiers, discussing the merits of each candidate, and making recommendations while following a rather circumscribed set of contractual policies and procedures. These committees operated under the aegis of the University Senate 
while using procedures spelled out in the AFT contract. Last, let me mention the considerable efforts that were given by our faculty and staff to the ongoing demands created by middle states and an array of professional accrediting agencies. While these accrediting agencies were directed and coordinated by the administration, the research, evaluation, writing, and accreditation documents were largely the work of the faculty and professional staff. The time on task demanded of these activities was massive. The Aurora College of Business, the Rowan School College of Engineering, Cooper Medical School, and the addition of the Rowan Osteopathic Medical School, the School of Earth and Environment, the School of Nursing and Health Professions, and the pending schools of veterinary medicine and social work, all shared in the legacy created by now largely retired faculty and professional staff. Some time ago, I had a conversation with my friend, Sharon Taylor Davis, concerning her imminent retirement. She said she hoped that she was leaving the university a better institution than she found it when she was hired. Indeed, she did. We all did. We built a bridge to the next hundred years of Rowan University. We built a bridge that carried GSC into the 21st century as Rowan University. The Rowan gift with its transformative promise could only have been realized because of the foundation upon which it was built. As the university moves forward into the next 100 years to become a Category 1 Carnegie Research Institution, it does so having traversed a solid bridge by the faculty and professional staff built of the past five decades. Such is our legacy. Thank you. Now to talk about the next hundred years is our current president, Ali Hushman. Hello, dear friends. Happy to be here once again every year that around this time we gather and and talk about you know what has happened and what is about to happen in this university and a lot are happening. I was listening to Jay. Jay, thank you for a wonderful history lesson. It really was wonderful to go through what has happened in this university. This is really uh, an amazing transformation. And on many, many occasions, I've been asked by reporters in various interviews that what is that most important transformational event that took place that enabled you guys to, to get to where you are? What was that first thing? I always give the same answer, and it's really, I really believe it. And I said, an ability of a community to embrace change. That's a very, very powerful ability for anybody. As human beings, we are always protective and resistant to change because change brings uncertainty. And we don't like uncertainty. We want to be knowledgeable about the future. We want to be more predictive. So what, what Jay just said, in my view, is 100% true. I honestly do not believe Rowan would be anywhere near where it is 
if it wasn't because of the community, the faculty, the staff, willing to embrace change and willing to, to trust and verify. Uh, I always define the 16 years that I've been in here into three stage. The first stage was the first two years where anything that I said, the response was no way in hell or over my dead body or go to whatever. That was the first two years. And that was, for me, was tremendously transformational because it made me humble and it made me willing and able to now listen and understand the culture of this institution from your point of view. I know they tried to put myself in your position and think that way. And that was the process. So that process took another four or five years, I would say, maybe even six, where people said, okay, we trust you, but we need to verify everything. I remember one day, Jay Chaskis took me to lunch, and he basically very bluntly said, you know, Ali, there are about 30 of us in here who run this university, and we are all from Missouri. And you're gonna true, you're gonna kind of prove it to us. That was very early on, and that really that cultural change uh, was critical. So I went through the second stage, and then the third stage is we are now what I say community. It's not a person or a division. It's really a whole group of people, professional people who care for their home, their second home, and they want to make it better. That's what I believe we have. We started. About 10 years ago, with 1,600 employees, we are now 3,900 employees. And that, to me, is the greatest accomplishment. When 3,900 people get a paycheck and go and, and put food on the table for their families, nothing is more wonderful than that. And the future of the university is really wonderful. I will tell you, we really are, in all facets of the growth of the institution, we are doing really very well, all thanks to everybody. This is truly a team effort, and, and uh, the future is bright because I think the foundation of the university, as Jay clearly described, is built on very solid foundation, and that to me is the key. And today, financially, we are stable, we are solid. We can actually sit down, look today, and even kind of plan five years into the future. Not many universities can do that. There are those who can't even think six months into the future, but we can. We are building amazing schools. We are getting great grants in three areas just to so see the transformation, the monumental transformation. 10 years ago, between research, advancement, fundraising advancement, and continuing education, those total were about $13 million. This past year that finished July, June 30th, we topped $220 million in these three areas. And that gives us that ability to not be so incredibly dependent to the state or to just raise the tuition and fees to balance budget. We now watch every dollar we spend, especially in an academic area, in all facets area. And I'm proud to say, Rowan is one of the very few universities in the nation that 69% of our operating budget goes towards academic and academic related. That is pretty impressive. So all in all, I want to thank you for, for being who you are for many, many decades of your wonderful life that you committed to this place to make it what it is. 
I hope you are proud of your own product. I am absolutely certain that you should be, I am. And this is a great place, envy of many, many people. And I can assure you the next 100 years will be as glorious. And many, many hundreds and thousands of people, students and staff will come in here, either get their credentials or get a great profession and get a good job and, and, and live a good life. And that to me is wonderful. Let's keep it that way. Let's keep on pumping more resources and more, more prestige and credibility to this place and make it truly one of the shining example of the universities in the United States. Thank you again. Okay, now to hear a little bit more about uh, some of the special programs and efforts that we're doing here on campus, our provost, Dr. Tony Lohman. Thank you, it's, it's good to be here at this luncheon again. Um, I remember last year, the day after the first day of classes, we were actually still in shock as we had the F3 tornado just went roaring through uh, in my house, the president's house, and uh, we were really struggling to deal with, uh, I think, a lot of trauma on our campus about, wow, we've, we've come through a year and a half of, of COVID. We finally come back and, and we have the devastation that really uprooted our campus. <laughs> Last year was not, was not a good day for, for a lot of us here. Today we stand here, it's, it's, it's such a great time. If you have a chance to walk around the campus, you'll see it's, it's, it, we're really back to normal. Um, you walk through the buildings, they're full, the students are smiling. We welcomed our largest class, our largest first year class of new students ever. Um, the dorms are, are hopping, students are happy. Our faculty and staff, they're a little tired. The last, last couple of years have, have been hard on all of us. Um, and I think just getting through the commencements and the celebrations we've had really has, has, been, the, has been the high point. I know we, we partied and had a celebration last year for commencement, I think like no other institution. So it, it was truly, truly great. Um, getting through the last couple of years, I can tell you this, it would not have happened the way it did and, and have us in such a great position if we didn't have great collaboration with faculty, staff, and administration. I got to know Joe, probably Joe Basso, better than <laughs> maybe I would, either of us would have liked uh, during the pandemic. But having the ability to work with Joe and Jerry and John, always being able to pivot with the faculty and the staff as we needed to, to make changes and and do things to help the university. You know, some of the some of the stuff we did early on prevented our faculty from having to furlough a number of days. And, and everybody pitched in and got us through, which has us ready for the next step. So as we move forward with things with our faculty facing, we put in new policies, procedures, so that as we transition to this R1 institution, we're not leaving the faculty that came here to teach behind. We've created pathways of promotion so that our faculty that came here to teach can still get promoted, still can move forward with their scholarship expectations to become full professors, just like all of our peers. So we're very excited. We, we put this in place that everybody knows that they have a place in our next hundred years and everyone knows that their hard work is going to, is important to our growth and will be rewarded. So we're excited about that. As we start this new semester, some things that we're really focused on as we've added more students is we've kept in our mind the importance of our student and faculty and staff wellness. Uh, as we kind of went into what I call our, our, our quiet time with COVID, if everyone remembers, we were going through really a mental health crisis on our campus. We had a number of, of suicides and, and I would say student wellness was, was really at the bottom. And one of the things we worked on 
going into the pandemic is how do we create a row and thrive for our students, our faculty, and our staff to provide wellness support, sir. And with the pandemic, we kind of forgot we had these assets. And it's even more important now than ever as our students come back, as our faculty come back, as our staff come back. We've invested heavily in new resources. We held a wellness summit in late August where the president, AFT, faculty leadership, student leadership spent a day in a room. And we left there with knowing that the wellness of everybody in this campus is everybody's response, not just the administration, not just the faculty, the students, and that we're all here for each other. We're making a concerted effort to put these resources front and center in every group so that everybody knows when they see a student, a faculty member, a staff member in crisis, how we're gonna help them, now we're gonna get there. So we're really emphasizing our, our wellness hunt. The other is our student experience. We're rolling out new activities and experiential learning across all majors so that every one of our students leaves here with the skills they need to go out and succeed, whether it's in industry or their next journey into graduate. So we're, we're very excited about that. And then with new academic programs, you heard Harold speak about all of the new things that are starting up here. We have our first new four-year nursing program will be coming online to complement our three plus one RN to BSM programs. We are in the final stages of our accreditation and getting ready to launch our bachelor's of social work and master's of social work in the coming year. And of course, the big shiny object that you're gonna see uh, under construction, hopefully in the not too distant future is the, vet the School of Veterinary Medicine, the first in New Jersey and only the 34th in the country will be going up on, on the West Campus. So right now we've, we've hired the Dean, we're beginning to hire faculty, we're beginning to hire veterinarians. By late this fall, you'll see Rowan Vet Services going out on mobile vans, staffing at at the Gloucester County Shelter and Animal Clinic down the road. Uh, and hopefully the building will be up, going up uh, later this year. And by late next year into 2024, you'll see the, the animal hospital start opening and seeing, seeing patients and animals on, on our West Campus. So we're really, really excited. Students are here, our faculty are uh, doing great things in the classroom and the research labs and, and the new programs are coming. So, um, you know, I said, I tried to steal the president's phrase at his uh, tenure celebration this summer, but I, I truly mean it, he didn't say it, but, but you haven't seen anything yet. I won't say you haven't seen nothing yet because that's, that's his tagline, but what you're gonna see coming is, is like nothing else. We, we weathered the storm of the pandemic we did it intelligently and we are ready to go for the next 10 years. So stay tuned and, and wait to see what we, we bring you next year at this time. So thank you for the incredible service and uh, thanks to Joe and the team for, for what they're doing with us to make the university the best it can be. So with that, I will get out of the way of lunch and turn it back to Harold. Okay, I don't know how everybody else is reacting to uh, what was already said, but it makes me, it, it sort of heartens me of, of being uh, a retired employee from here, that we're talking about the ability to change, the fact that we're a community, and that is going to make the difference uh, in the past, as Ali has said, and what is going to happen in the future. I've always felt that uh, we could do anything here at Rowan as long as we followed the two R's, and that is to be respectful to each other and also to make our request for change reasonable. If those two things happen, we will continue to be as successful as we have been. And uh, I'm sorry, I'm looking forward to the future 
possibly as a bystander, but I also feel connected to the university and the fact that we are still trying to make sure that we take care of the health of the people who were the foundation and also the fact that we do do our own fundraising and helping student scholarships and uh, we're approaching I think over um, close to very uh, 200,000 that uh, are being used every year and Melissa you can correct me if I, if I was wrong with that uh, during our lunchtime but it makes me very happy to hear those kind of things I hope it heartens you too. Joe uh, as all of us know the um, AFT Local 2373 became the bargaining agent for Rowan University in, or Glassboro State College at that time in 1973. Uh, next year, you're gonna be celebrating your 50th anniversary. In 19, the fall of 1987, uh, there was a request to have a retirees chapter. And if you notice on um, the little publications that we have, there is uh, the notation that we're celebrating our 35th anniversary of being the retirees chapter here at Rowan University. Now, one thing that we did uh, as a retirees chapter is we look for national recognition. I don't know how many of you people actually looked at this as you came in. This is the charter from the national AFT to our current Rowan University AFT 2373's chapter and the recognition and you can see there's like 22 names here of all the different regional AFT presidents from across the United States signed this. How many of these gentlemen and ladies that we know or will know is probably very limited. But one of the things that I always feel is important historically is to know who made these things happen. We did not just um, make a glass covering of the front of this charter, but actually on the back, we have all the charter members. So at any given time, um, the AFT office can flip it around and they can read names. Uh, some of the people are here. Uh, and these bring back memories for me, uh, Brenda Belay, uh, Joanne Busson, Boyle Carpenter, Dave Cromie, Fred Dietrich, Lee Dinsmore, Elizabeth Duff, Bob Edwards, Rizelle Frankel, who is just, I, I've been corresponding with her lately, Dr. Rose Glassberg, uh, Jim Grace, Ed Haldeman, Bob Houston, John Humbert, Edith Houston, Ted Johnson, Dave Kappel, uh, Elaine Lee, Don Zimmerman, Ed Wolf, who, uh, you know, Holly talked about earlier tonight, uh, Joe Tischler, Al Taylor, Frank Sutton, Kathy Stevens, Sal Spina, uh, Agnes uh, Panera Weiss, Clark F Flieger, Carol Palarmo, Mel Moyer. Now, these are the people that also probably were in the original uh, AFT in, uh, in 1973, but they also have to be charter members. Uh, so at this point in time, Joe, I'd like to give this to you. Uh, I'd like to also say thank you to uh, Carrie Huff, uh, who helped us with registration. Joe, I would hope that you will hang this in the AFT with distinction. Uh, Carrie has already nominated jury to help you know hang this for you. <laughs> so I know that there's a wall right now that we have Rose's picture on, um, you know, for all of her service to the AFT. Uh, we would also hope that you will hang this with honor in your office, Thank you. okay? Thank you so much. 
I, I, I just do want to say before I relinquish the mic, thank you so much. And we will hang that with pride. And as Karen Seifring is here, don't worry, Karen, I'll hang it. I don't really trust Jerry. Do Okay. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Okay. For the second part of our uh, program today, we have another keynote, and that's um, Dr. Nick Diobildum, who is a past president of AFT and is an ex officio member of our executive committee in the retirees chapter. And Nick is going to talk about the impact of the local AFT on Rowan University. Nick. Uh, Jay used the word legacy in his speech. Um, and uh, the title of my speech is Our Union Legacy. And I know the word legacy has a, uh, has a bad connotation at this point. It always means you know, something that is passed on, that is passed on because it got passed on. Uh, but it used to mean something that was passed on that was good uh, and that was prized, prized by people. Uh, so this is about our union legacy. And I did not want to get into talk about the thousands of little things that happened over the past 50 years uh, with the union. Uh, but I did want to focus on what was done that counts today and is passed on uh, with it. Uh, now, this is not long, but it is complicated. Uh, so I do have to read a little bit of it to you. When I first came to Glassboro State in 1972, there was a group of experienced faculty who were not very satisfied with the way things were going. But there was another small group of people who were well-schooled in the history of the labor movement in the United States, dedicated to workers' rights, and intent on bringing a union to Glassboro State College. Unionism brought the promise of an end to favoritism, capricious decision-making, and perceived oppression, whether it was real or imagined. Unionism promised the codification of work rules through a contract between workers and employers. That contract would level the playing field for all employees by allowing everyone to know what the work rules were and to follow them. It would help eliminate favoritism, capricious decision-making, and discourage our oppressive tendencies. A contract also held the promise of personal dignity and pride in an era when peer-reviewed research publications were not the primary measure of success. So the activists recruited the discontented and true believers to their cause, but they did more than recruit. They organized a bargaining unit that in true union fashion included librarians and professional staff and later adjunct faculty. This organizational structure contributed to a more cohesive workforce for delivering essential services like teaching, advising, and assisting students with their academic and personal needs. Subsequently, through regular union meetings, everyone in the bargaining unit became better acquainted with workers in all of its components and to understand how each serves students, what problems each face, and what support each needed. I want to thank Rose for that paragraph. The union won a representation election and tried to negotiate a fair contract with the state, but also a contract that would allow us to address local issues. It took a long strike, a short strike, and the threat of another strike before the state and local management finally um, recognized that the Council of State New Jersey locals and its local affiliates was here to stay. 
Our local is affiliated with the Council of New Jersey State College Locals and the National AFT. But ours is also a union that prizes local control. Yes, the state council, controlled by the, by the locals, is the bargaining agent with the state, and it negotiates life-changing issues like salary, sabbatical leaves, and medical benefits. But within that framework, there's a lot of local control. Uh, the local, uh, the master contract allows us to bargain procedures for promotion, uh, sabbatical leaves, and, and representation for important issues like curriculum reform, hiring practices, and the handling of grievances, now called conflict resolution. And I'm going to return to that issue in a moment. Today, the cooperation between the union and the university senate is always apparent to anyone who pays attention to shared governance. But it was not always that way. Uh, initially, Senate leaders opposed union activities because they felt it would infringe upon their shared governance. But that opposition passed as the Senate leaders recognized the contributions of the unit and, and especially those beyond contractual issues. They eventually became members and cooperation with the Senate continues to today. Um, I want to thank Jay Chaskis for that paragraph, <laughs> uh, too. Um, okay, so union represent, uh, it actually works both ways, too, uh, Senate and the union. Union representation on Senate curriculum committees, and in fact, all committees, allows Senate ideas to flow back into union negotiations, give support to the academic integrity of the university, and protect the rights and students at, and of unit members alike. Additionally, union membership on committees assured that local problems did not conflict with the master agreement and allowed the correction of violations before filing of formal grievances. I want to thank Rose for that idea, uh, Joe. One of our members once suggested that the grievance committee be called the Contract Enforcement Committee, and that leads to my next point. After all the startup difficulties between the union and management, our leaders, buttressed by a contract and loyal supporters, went from a contract-enforcing union to a culture-establishing union, a culture that would embed itself in every department in the university. Elements of that culture include things like inclusion, equal treatment of individuals, attention to real or perceived grievances, representation on all committees, shared decision-making, problem-solving, and yes, respect, cooperation, and supportive management, especially when they shared our goals. Uh, Ali, I put that in there for you. <laughs> that is the culture I inherited when I became the local's president and the one passed on to others. I am the retiree's representative to the local, uh, to the local 2373. Whenever I attend their meetings, I hear a lot of anguish about a variety of issues. Many are the same we dealt with throughout our active careers. Other problems are attributable to the growth and expansion of the university. Uh, and actually, it's also a problem with the large, large amount of work that is needed to solve uh, problems that arise because of that. But one problem stands out. It is reluctance of management to recognize that for a well-paid, secure job, for all faculty, either through tenure or a multi-year contract, helps employees think about the future of their place of employment, not just themselves, and, 
and allows them to do all the things which help an institution thrive. Unionism in the United States has always been challenged by those who believe they know a better way to get things done. It's the same at Rowan University. Every generation has to deal with it. And of course, negotiations are most helpful for solving all of those problems. Not, well, not all the problems, most of the problems. It is presumptuous to think we retirees have the solution to all the problems faced by our local 2373. But I do have one suggestion. The local has a large amount of money, which they call their investment fund. They should change its name back to what we called it, our strike fund. That's for Joe. Thank you, Nick. Thank you. Uh, just a little anecdote then. I, don't, I probably haven't shared this with a lot of people, but when I came to this university, which was a state college you know, back in the 70s, I was still 28, and I went grocery shopping every Saturday uh, between 7.30 and 8 o'clock. And do you know who else used to go grocery shopping at the same time at the Acme? Was Mark Chamberlain. And oftentimes we would walk up and down the aisles uh, getting groceries and talking. And one of the things that he told me then is, as a young man, he said, Harold, he says, you know, right now uh, there's a lot of anger on campus because we're trying to reach some type of agreement on our future contracts. But I'll tell you, you have to be kind to other people because remember, no matter what our differences are today, tomorrow we still have to work together. And, you know, I've, I've always remembered that, and that's one of the reasons why I had said earlier, you know, I can always get along with other people as long as they respect me and they're reasonable. Um, and, I, and I think that's, you know, one of the things that uh, we have done here on campus. Uh, and getting a chance to talk about what we're really doing on campus, I'd like to introduce the, the president of our local AFT 2373 chapter, Joe Basso. Joe? Thank you very much, Nick. We are changing the uh, title of that. It's the Joe Basso Retirement Fund is what the account's going to go into, but <clears throat> I'm getting a little resistance on that. <clears throat> I want to thank you all for inviting me again here today. Um, this has been a 10-year run for me as president of the local, and it's been really the defining part of my career. It's been an honor to work not only with the faculty and staff here at this institution, but also with the retirees chapter who have always been supportive, um, have lent words of wisdom, great advice from past presidents. And um, it's, it's sort of surreal for me, this brash kid, from, and yes, I am a little brash, <laughs> from South Philadelphia who started coming to this institution as an undergraduate in 1979. Some of the retirees were actually my professors and I'm, I'm still in grade disputes with, uh, but that's, um, but I learned something back then. And I've said this all along. I got a great education here and I got a great education because of the people who worked here. I was so proud. I, both my bachelor's and master's degree, going on to get my PhD at Texas A&M University, a bigger institution, great school, but it was the foundation I got here that was so important. Uh, later on to go get my law degree and now be, get to be an even bigger mouth because people, for, for some reason, but it's been, um, it's been absolutely wonderful. 
And I, I have to tell you, from the position that you are in, is that this, what you have done and what you've contributed to this institution and the pride you take in it, I want to assure you of one thing, that this institution is moving forward and is in great shape. It's in great shape because this weird dynamic we have of a union and an administration somehow trying to piece it all together works. And it works because the people. I've had my tenure as president has nearly paralleled Dr. Hushman's tenure as president. So we've worked together for years. And when we've disagreed, and we've disagreed several times, never lost respect and for each other. And we always did so in a manner that came to resolution. I'm fortunate now that with Dr. Lohman, who's not here right now, it's, it's more even beyond that. It becomes a friendship. We both have children attending Catholic University. So, you know, we sometimes meet down there and it's, a, it's been a great relationship. And we come at things from different points of view, but we sit and we work it out. And um, there's no... There's no shame in compromise because that's what makes it work. And that's what I think is, is really the hallmark of our success here at this institution. And as we move forward, I'm, I'm so proud of the direction we're going in at this university. Uh, it's, uh, you know, the, the kid who graduated from little Glassboro State College with great pride, you know, does sit there and tell his friends, yeah, you know, it's, it's Rowan University now. And we're, we're a big player now, and my, you know, my friends who I graduated with are still in awe of, of the dynamic growth we have here. There's more to do, though, and we will continue with a collaborative work ethic, and we're going to get to that point because I know, I know deep inside that we may come at things from different points of view, but the union, staff, the faculty, and the administration still have a common goal, which is the betterment of the students and to make this institution everything it is. Thank you all again. Um, I hope that we can continue working well together and that we can continue to grow together as an institution. Thank you, Dr. Hushman, for, you know, putting people in place who I can work with. And, uh, you know, and, and again, even when it's even when we come at it from different points of view, that we can solve problems because that's that's what it's all about. And thank you again for having me here today and uh, to the, the newest members. And I want to throw a special shout out to Joanne Connor, who I know is going to get an award here today. Proud to tell you that we did get Joanne, who now administration, she's back in unit. So um, anytime you have a conversation with any of the administration, call me, I'll represent you. No. <laughs> Joanne, you did a great job when you were here, and I am so appreciative of the collaborative effort and that we could always talk as friends uh, and we could solve issues. So thank you again. Thanks, Joe. Okay, if you notice, the two keynotes today were both about legacy. So we're very, very interested in what's going to be happening with this university's centennial next year. So I'd like to ask Lori Marshall, who's chairing uh, a lot of the things that are happening on campus, to come and speak to us about that. Lori? Thank you, Harold. Good to see everybody again. Um, 
I wanted to make a quick reference. Joe Cardona, who is my boss, is here. And after Joanne Connor um, so ably started the process of the Centennial Committee planning and and gathering everyone um, and has now left all of that for us to to have the party and conduct everything, Joe Cardona is going to now be doing the chairing of that for the Centennial Committee. So we've got uh, a legacy that started with Joanne. Uh, for the year and a half, I guess, when we when we got into it. And Joe's going to be taking that over. So, um, Joe, you can wave or holler, pull the shepherd's hook off and get me out of here. The reference I think um, Harold made to Joe being here for quite a while and still looking the same, um, that's the legacy that we're talking about. We're talking about people who are students and, and who are still here and love the place and are pouring into it, as you all did. Um, and we're going to have a big party for the centennial. I wanted to, to just remind you that every time I've, I've come and talked with everyone, I've invited you to be part of our oral history. And some of you have done that, and you've lived to tell the tale. Um, Jay and Rose and, um, and Larry um, have sat down, and, and Tony have sat down and told us um, memories and given us a chance, in their words, to capture that experience of their era in the university and the college. Um, and we really deeply appreciate that. We're going to be collecting all of those and editing them and then putting them up so that people can hear in your words, your perspective on the university's history, that centennial part where you were here on a daily basis interacting with students. So we're still going to be sending out invitations. We've got Bill Kushner. I've been making arrangements with him from uh, the last three or four months to come from Israel. We're scheduling around him. And so we're going to keep doing that. Um, it's really important that we have your stories. Um, so say yes. It's, it's not, we won't bite. We're not asking hardball questions. You can tell us those things that are kind of sticky. You can tell us those things that explain uh, maybe those, those points in the AFT history and all of your classroom experiences that really bring color to the story. So we're, we're eager to capture those. Also, Rose and um, Harold and a few of you have mentioned things that you'd like to give us, um, not necessarily a story, but maybe you've written an essay. You're collecting accounts of your history. So if you don't want to sit in front of a video, then please add to our archive some other way that makes it comfortable for you to share in that history and to make that part of our permanent archive. Um, we're going to have events, and those events will be opportunities for you to, to come back and meet with students and and colleagues and uh, former colleagues and um, just be participants um, to celebrate because, again, it's about legacy and it is about um, a personal experience. Um, bringing to our community now, the, we're talking about the next hundred years, bringing to our community now that sense of expectancy and that sense of pride that, that you all still have because you poured into it because you were part of laying that foundation. And it's so important for those of us who are here now and the students who are coming in to, to see you and to hear your voices and to feel that sense of commitment and that legacy. Using some of the artwork from our yearbooks, we went back to the 1924 yearbooks, we went back to some of the original drawings that students did, and we pulled all of the concepts together um, and sat there with our student artists and, and our alumni artists and developed what is the alumni, uh, is the centennial mark. So it has elements of the university's um, icons, 
blended into a new Centennial logo. And this is a lapel pin that, again, um, after the president got his, um, you are the next group to get them ahead of everyone else. Um, I don't have them for the general public yet, but we thought it was important for you to enjoy them and, uh, and just know that we're going to do this. Um, we're going to celebrate and wear our pride, not on our sleeve, but on our lapel. And um, I've got lapel pins for everyone. And I don't know how many people may or may not have been here. I know Ed's not here, um, but we'll, we'll share enough for everyone to have them. All right. That's it. I am ho happy to answer questions with anyone afterward about um, coming to schedule uh, oral histories. In October, we're scheduling some of them around homecoming just because it's convenient for folks to come back. But if there's a target date that we can schedule you with, we will do that. The oral histories, yes, we are scheduling the oral histories this October and into the rest of the winter. But we won't celebrate the centennial until next year, the homecoming of next year. Mathematically speaking, the 100th year has already started on September 5th. That's the 100th. So we are in the 100th year already. We are celebrating now. So that's it. Richard. Ri next, next October is going to be 100. Yes. This is what this is the benefit of having a mathematician as the president. Anyway, thank you so much. Thanks for everything that you've contributed so far. And uh, and I'm we are all counting on you to, to keep uh, keep contributing in every way that uh, that you can. Thank you so much. You know, it's sort of funny. Another anecdote I'm going to tell um, was it. 15, 20 years ago, I would come to meetings and Lori would come up and say, oh, do you have your own university pin on? And I, I have them on all my sports coats and suits still hanging in the closet. So I'd be very honored to have one of the new Centennial uh, pins. One of the things that we're doing as a chapter is that in the newsletter, we advertise about writing your memoir, okay? Narratives ce celebrating the Centennial. If you don't have a copy of the newsletter that we advertise this in, we have uh, a paper here that will tell you how we wanted, you know, uh, filed uh, the length, uh, 1,100 words, font 12 point, and that we're asking for submissions by the beginning of October. Uh, and then what will happen is that we would like to put together some kind of pamphlet or booklet to help celebrate the centennial with some of our own, you know, personal narratives. Rose, would you like to do the next point uh, sitting down, or you want to stand up here? When we first started the chapter, we were able to meet in 144, and we liked that. It was important to meet on campus. And then after a few years, we could not, because food service was privatized, and we couldn't afford it. So we met in local restaurants, and that was not very satisfactory. Um, Tom County was chief of staff, and we talked to him, and he got us back on campus. But Tom didn't stay very long after that, and Joanne took over. And since Joanne Connor took over as chief of staff, not only were we able to eat on campus again and be part of campus, but as we grew 
and had different uh, people approach us for help, we found Joanne very supportive. And that meant a great deal to us in terms of what we could do as a chapter. And so, Joanne, in recognition of your outstanding service, we acknowledge and applaud your assistance in our accomplishments, valuing our perspective and mission. On behalf of the members of the retirees chapter, sincere thanks and heartfelt appreciation. Best wishes to you in all your professional endeavors. Thank you, Joanne. Now, normally we uh, celebrate the addition of new members. Uh, so to the two new members that I thought were going to be there here today aren't, um, but you know we're going to have to deal with that. Possibly this will make everybody happy in, in some way. We're going to end this uh, ceremony, and I would like to ask our executive vice president, Marge Mars, to come and uh, give a, a moment of reflection. Marge, I think our AFT retirees chapter would like to suggest to everyone who's about to retire or just retiring that retirement is not the end of something. Rather, it is the beginning of something else. This is why we have a, a retirees chapter. Together, we can help each other traverse that bridge between working and retirement while also continuing to help our working colleagues and the students on campus here and those across the entire nation. According to national polls, we are witnessing a clear majority of Americans who favor unions. It's been in the press all week. Author Lewis Owens left us with this positive thought for Labor Day. Quote, our job is to awaken people to be utterly conscious, to attend to the world, unquote. AFT National President Randy Weingarten opened her Labor Day email with this, quote, fun fact as we celebrate the, this Labor Day, unions are cool again. Just this week, a Gallup poll shows that unions are more popular than they have ever been since the 1960s. Nearly half of non-union workers say they would join a union in their workplace if they had a chance. And young workers are even more enthusiastic about unions. More Americans are realizing what union members know. Working people are stronger together, unquote. Personally, as a retired librarian and musician, I wanted to leave everyone with a quick quote from the lyrics of labor-supporting songwriters Woody Guthrie or Bob Dylan, but the volume of their work, which I have at home and big books lying around, <laughs> uh, it was overwhelming. So instead today, I will close with a grateful acknowledgement of a famous author who passed away an author and activist who, author, who passed away on September 1st last week. That was Barbara Ehrenreich. 
The Associated Press's obituary was sad, but it was inspirational. With a PhD in immunology, she chose to move from being a teacher and a researcher to become an active in the support of many movements, the feminist movement, reproductive rights, student activism, attention to climate change, unions, and the working poor. As her son, journalist Ben Ehrenreich, tweeted last Friday, the day after she passed away, quote, she was never much for thoughts or prayers, but you can honor her memory by loving one another and by fighting like hell, unquote. Enjoy the new academic year, everyone. Thank you, Marge. Uh, the only thing I would like to say, um, in addition to what's already been said, you know, please, you know, consider writing uh, a memoir uh, to include. Okay, that's something that I think you know will be very lasting. We will continue to share things with you by email, as uh, many of you have read in in some of our um, the minutes. We will continue to have Zoom meetings. For the immediate time, uh, we have had difficulty trying to get a room in the student center. Perhaps by next year, when the student center has more rooms available, and we're not necessarily the last group of people who can, you know, apply for rooms here, uh, we'll be meeting again on campus. Um, the only positive thing that we've had from the Zoom is that you know sometimes when we met on campus, we'd have maybe 12 or 14 people, and we've had as many as 30 some people or more. Uh, on some of our Zoom meetings. Uh, and, and the important thing is that uh, even as we contact people about what we're doing, uh, we want people to feel that there's still a fellowship, that we're all working for the same goal, and that would be you know, the, the betterment and the care of each other as retired um, citizens, and also for our link to, Rowan, or to link to Rowan University and what we do in student scholarships. So those are the important things. So thank you very much for coming today, and uh, we'll stay in touch. All right? Bye. You've been listening to the AFT Retirees Welcome Back Reception. You can find more Rowan Radio programming at rowanradio.com or by searching for Rowan Radio On Demand on your favorite podcasting platforms.